Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. And here is Robert Altman. Thank you. I hadn't seen that movie in a long time. Well, some of the people who, who love this movie when it came out said that it's going to hold the test of time. It's one of those movies that people will look back at 10 years from now, and now it's 10 years later. Uh, well, well, the music in it is just, uh, in itself, is classic. Those players are, you'll never see them together again. To me, I wanted, I wanted the jazz to be as much as the film. You've described this as a movie that's made in the style of jazz, in a way that not just the, that there's music in the film, but that it has sort well, of a... The movie is, um, like this conversation, the movie is in the style of, of jazz. It, not just that it has music in it, but that... No, you, no you the, the, the structure of, right. of the way we did the scenes, and uh, it, it just kind of bled off onto one thing onto another. It was, the scenes were highly improvised. Uh, Harry's uh, scenes, that long, those monologues he has uh, with uh, Dermot Mulroney was, um, those were, you know, just, they were jazz riffs. And each uh, character in this play had a, a, a musical connection. I don't know how this uh, film holds up. I think it holds up quite well. It's a beautifully crafted movie, for one oh, thing. Oh, it's good. It's a shot. Um, not, just, uh, not just in terms of the musicians, but the, the craftsmanship, the photography. Uh, one thing I love about the movie is the editing. This was uh, one of the movies edited by, by Geraldine Peroni, yeah. who did a brilliant yeah. job, who, um, who passed away a few years ago. But she was a great editor. She, she, uh, she died during the... Um, she was editing uh, uh, Ang Lee's film, uh, mm. Brokeback okay. Mountain. Mm. And then and her assistant, who had worked, did the music editing and stuff on this film, went ahead and finished that picture. And he, uh, Dylan Titchener, and he now works for mostly for uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. He works on all of his films. And Donna, this was the first time I had Donna as a, a costume designer, and it was... Uh, it's, it's, it was a beautiful job. All those cars. Where did I get all those cars? <laughs> I'm sure this was not a huge budget film. There's a lot of attention paid to the detail, the production design, the the look of the film. Yeah, no, it was, I don't. I can't remember what it cost, <laughs> but not a lot. And how did the impulse to make a film, Kansas City, come about? It was, uh, you obviously were raised in Kansas City, started well, your film career. Frank Barhide, who who co-wrote this with me. Uh, and it's worked for me. He's from Kansas City. And we were doing, um, I think it was Tanner 88. We, we were doing the editing. And we were just sitting there in that in that editing room. And Frank and I just started talking a lot. And we, and, and we kind of dug into our Kansas City lore. His father was a, a, a friend, a contemporary of mine. And uh, we just started noodling on it. And... Uh, uh, came up with this kind of story. And these are all pieces of stories that I had heard 
growing up. My father was not far separated from the culture of those people in that. So I had heard all those stories. and You know, during the Depression, which is when this time was, they didn't close, they didn't close a bar in Kansas City. They just, they just, they just didn't pay attention to it. And uh, you, you see all these things about bootlegging and all that. It was just wide open. And, um, and with connections to the White House right on down through. And, it was the, and, and the musicians gathered there and kind of it became a, a, a music town because the, all these bands were forming and going west and doing those uh, high school graduations <laughs> and proms. They'd get out in the road and they'd get stuck. The band would break up or they'd get broke. Or, and they ended up kind of hanging out in Kansas City. And the night of this, this film when the, in that Hey Hey Club was a Monday night. And uh, on Monday nights, it was the, 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 the bars were, the clubs were dark. But all the musicians came out and just came in, went from club to club and kind of jammed. It was quite a time. What was your experience in this music when you were growing up? Um, I read one story that you were introduced to jazz by a black a woman who worked in your house. Yeah, and it was solitude. Was the, was the thing she, I'll never forget it. She said, I remember in the living room, and she said, Bobby, now sit down and listen to this. And I said, what? And she said, just sit down. I remember I sat on a, like a footstool in front of a radio, and she said, this is the best music there ever was. And uh, it was solitude. And it just stayed in my mind. I mean, it's in this film twice. I, I, we did two yeah. nods to it. And tell us a bit about uh, Kansas City. Your work in Kansas City, early in your film career, you actually went out to Hollywood, tried to make it out there, came back to Kansas City, and made, spent a lot of time making industrials. I made industrial and documentary films and... <laughs> You know, anything I could lie myself through. <laughs> so that was your film s- school in a way. You made was my, yeah, there were no film schools then. That mm-hmm. was, but I worked for this place called the Calvin Company, and we did made films for how to run a filling station and instructional films, and I did a lot of sports rules films for high schools and anything, <laughs> action. And was it true that... Bef- um, before you left Hollywood to go back to Kansas City, you started a business where you um, came up with a way to tattoo identification labels on dogs. Yes, I, I did. I tattooed. <laughs> <laughs> that was my real real job. I tattooed dogs. I went to Washington uh, when Harry Truman was president, and I tattooed his dog. <laughs> and uh, I was a tattooer. My other two partners just took the money and uh, ultimately ran. You know, you said something at the um, when you got your honorary um, Academy Award this year. You said that you view your films as sandcastles. You use this metaphor, and that's of course the name of your production company. Uh, but the films really don't go away. As you, the films stay around. Well, they 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 stay in my memory. But when I say that, I mean that one film. They're all. It's all one film. Yeah. Just different chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they 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 seem like now. And how does this film, how much of it is sort of about your memories of how Kansas City actually was versus a well, sort of well, fancif- I mean, it's a <laughs> romanticized version of, of probably what real, really happened. But 
It wasn't far off. All those things happened. Those places were there. That place where the uh, the, the sister shot the gun at her, mm-hmm. and and where Steve Buscemi had he's gathering those guys together to go out on a voting thing. That when we were there, it was there, of course. And my dad used to own a garage just around the corner from that, and that club was going then. And it was one of those clubs where the the waitresses uh, didn't wear any clothes, and uh, they had a unique way of picking tips up off the table, (laughs) 50 cent pieces, and people would go in there and have a drink and and tip, big tips. (laughs) I didn't put that in the movie. I think it's the, the last film of yours that uh, where you actually have the screenwriting credit, uh, one of the, the main writing credits. You've been involved, of course, in writing on different levels in, in all your films. But can you talk a bit about what the writing process is like? Um, how do you leave it open to then well, for it's, this freedom? Well, each project has different DNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the 80s, I did several... I took several theater pieces and uh, streamers and mm-hmm. come back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, and things like that, and took him right off the stage. Didn't have a screenplay at all. We just took the the Samuel French book <laughs> and put a fourth wall in and and shot it exactly like I would the, do set up the theater piece. And um, it, it, this credit business on you look at the end of this picture. Uh, if you enjoy the music, it's okay. But, uh, my God, you know, <laughs> most of those people, you, you couldn't find find out who they are. I, I don't know, half of them. And the list <laughs> gets longer every film. I think I says, legal services by so-and-so, so-and-so. And, and, and so we're doomed <laughs> to that sort of thing. Well, I don't think you want to just see a bunch of names, and even if it's your mother or daughter or son or what, uh, you're the only one that's going to know it. <laughs> oh, look, there's Charlie's name. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we won't show the credits during the rest of the retrospective for all the films. Well, I try to use that space up because I have to do it, so right. there's usually some good music in going on. <laughs> right, right. The way that you approach dialogue, there's something wonderful about it, which is that you don't feel like you always have to have people talking. You observe characters. Miranda Richardson in her whole last scene it doesn't say anything. We just get to watch her think. That's what it is. Uh, I, I, and, you know, different situations call for different things. And, and also then the actors you get, the, the, these are the people that really do this work. And they, they have a different style. Yeah. And you want to? In, I want to incorporate that. I want to take the positives or the, the what 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 I want to see from them. And sometimes it's silence. Yeah, this is something that you must be asked a lot because acting is so important in your films. But how do you create the the atmosphere on the set where this can happen? Where this oh, <laughs> I have no way of answering. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. We just uh, get up in the morning and people show up and <laughs> they say, "Well, we're going to do this." Uh, and you're paying attention to the set and the props and setting the camera, and then pretty soon the actors are there, and it's all happening. Um, Harry Belafonte, who had done um, some wonderful movies in the late 50s and, and then up through um, 
Uptown Saturday Night yeah. into the 70s. But this was, in a way, a comeback for him as a film actor. Could you talk a bit about well, Har- working Harry, with him? Well, Harry's the best. Uh, he's, he's, he's a very, very close friend of mine, and I love him dearly. And uh, he, he and I worked for, oh, a long time. He, he made an appearance. He was in uh, The Player. He made an appearance in The Player as himself. And then, um, and he and I worked on an Amos and Andy project for about three or four years. And um, I can't remember whether that was before, during, I think it was before we did Kansas City. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a great artist and a great person. What, what happened with the Amos and Andy project? That was a fascinating idea. We just, it was too big, it, it was too big for us. It was too big a project. Uh, I, my ambitions, I think, were too high on it. It became extraordinarily expensive. Mm. And nobody wanted to pay for it because they said, in the long run, who really cares? What was it that made you want to do it? What was it about? Well, Amos and Andy? Yeah. Well, I think the story of it is just is, is, is fabulous. The, the beginning of, of, uh, of uh, vaudeville and vaudeville and 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 the music and the, this whole history of these people coming from the slaves mm-hmm. and uh where they weren't even they weren't even allowed in musical instruments mm-hmm. and they had they made up their own musical instruments and that and it it just indicated to me that you know people are going to whistle in their life no matter how tough it is and uh, it became a, a, a real history, and it was a big, big part of this uh, Kansas City and, and American music. All these bands, mo- bands most of them were, were black mm-hmm. guys, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they created a, a music that didn't exist anywhere else, yeah. and still doesn't. What I'd love to know about you and Harry Belafonte is what your uh, discussions are like about politics, because you've both been so um, outspoken in the past few years. Well, I, we, uh, <laughs> we, we tend to agree on a lot of things. Yeah. So Union we, Station was rebuilt? It was t- totally trashed. And I grew up as a kid. I, my, my, some of my, when I was three years old, I would, we would always have to go to the station to meet my Uncle Howard when he was coming in for Christmas or these different times, and... And uh, we go down. I remember I lost a balloon, one of those, and it went all the way to the ceiling. And I, I just had a, uh, in my own memory, uh, that was a big, big place in my life. And when we got there, the, the uh, w- we went to the city, and it was it was nothing. Hmm. And w- we we redid. They let us redo half of it, and uh, then as they saw what it was happening. They kind of supported us in other things, and I think that's still open. I think I, there's I think a museum that, that, there. I, I think yeah, there's a museum there now. Yeah. But it kept that building from going down. That was yeah. one of the original train stations. They were all, all the train stations like that were, were designed after some someplace in Germany. Okay, so just the way about the political process often becomes a part of the film, the campaign and the election, bringing people out. Well, in some of those films, it's, it's kind of what it's about, the uh, certainly Nashville was, but uh, th- those things are, uh, I think, uh, they, they they're very they impress me. I think they're very important. To, I, I like to have a sense of uh, when a, a story is going on or things are going on in, in, in a small 
thing that they're set into a larger uh, dynamic, th these elections and things. Anyway, I pay attention to it. Okay, how do you cast your films? How do you select actors? Uh, I kind of just kind of go to whoever I'm... If I meet a guy in a bar and I'm ready to shoot a, a film, and I say, oh, listen, you want, you want to be in my film? <laughs> I mean, they, they remind you of themselves, and, you know, we go after, we have certain people, so I, I want so-and-so in this film, and you can't get them or for various reasons, and it just grows like topsy in a way. It just, I, I don't really know how it happens. The phone starts ringing. Okay, so you can talk about your decision process. How do you decide which films to make? I decide which films to make by the ones I get the money to make. <laughs> and that's the truth. Have you written many films that have not gotten made? Yeah, I've been involved in lots of films that didn't get made. But I, 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 I've, never done, I've never done a script and then gone out and tried to sell it or make it. I, I've always done the film. It's a process. And I, I finally stopped putting my name on the credits because there's so many names on the credits and there's so many people that do all this stuff. Uh, and it's, it, it doesn't mean anything. The, the, if it, to give the credit in all the films I've made, say who is the, the writer that was the most responsible for them would be the actors. Because they're the ones that are improvising and they're, they're, they're showing me what these characters are, and I'm just saying, oh, that's great, let's play, let's do this, let's do that. <laughs> well, I think everybody here knows you're being a little modest right now about that. Well, about yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just on, following up on that question about getting projects made, how much did the player change things? That was, you talked about that as your third comeback film, but you had been doing a lot of cable projects, and it seems like after the player... Things must have well, well, you know, it got uh, more attention and got got uh, awards and all that, and and you get that. But that's always what happens. The most popular, uh, the, the the film of mine that's made the most money and the most is is Mash, right. and I, I'll never uh, overshoot that. I don't think. I don't know. It just uh, you know you you, you kind of just go through your life and. Uh, an occurrence happened. I, after MASH, I could have done almost anything I wanted. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the guy came to me with the Brewster McLeod idea. And I said, oh, let's do that. And it was uh, people, my agents, everybody said, oh, you don't want to do that. You want to, let's go and get uh, Frederick March and do something really big. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's what it, I wanted to do. And then McCabe and Mrs. Miller was the same way. We just went up to Canada and made this cheap little western. You didn't feel like something special was going on. You um, Actually, I think around 44, when you made MASH, because um, yeah. you had a lot of experience in, in series television, um, and then one after the other, California split the long goodbye. I mean, you're talking about these. Well, well, those all all came rather yeah. fairly easily. Okay. But they're quite, I mean, they really changed um, how films were made. They were very... Well, and, that, and none of them really broke through. None of them was... Nashville, oddly enough, which most people know a lot about, was probably one of the lowest grossing films I've ever made. And McCabe and Mrs. Miller was the lowest grossing film. <laughs> I mean, McCabe and Mrs. Miller just died when it came out. 
And then something happened in Europe or someplace, and it started popping up on these best 20, best uh, right. 50 films lists and things like that. And, yeah. and, and, uh, but I don't think that many people bought tickets to see it. Can you name uh, some of the actors who were most surprising to you and what they brought to the film? Or the well, Elliot Gould was uh, 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 great. What he, what he brought to The Long Goodbye was just staggering. And uh, I just followed him around. And uh, I, just, uh, I just finished working uh, in this Prairie Home Companion, this film that opens in June. Uh, and you're going to show it here. That's right. We're showing it on June 8th. Uh, and I'd never worked with Meryl Streep before. Hmm. And we shot, shot the first day in a long, long scene with Meryl and Lily and Lindsay Lohan and... And uh, I went home that night, and I was depressed. I mean, she is so good. I went home, I told Catherine, and I said, you know, I didn't have to be there. <laughs> I, I, it wouldn't have made a, a, a wit's difference whether I was there or not. She, and, and, and she's not pushy. She's, not, she's, she's just the nicest person to everybody. But she just is... 25-30% above everybody. <laughs> I mean, she just knows. It's just something in her. And, uh, and I, I, so you don't inter interfere with that. Tell us about, I, I think Jennifer Jason Lee is a great actress, and, um, and th what, is she, what was she like to work on? Well, she's film? great. Jennifer. And you work with her father. You directed her father in well, combat. In combat. And, uh, and her mother has uh, done screenplays. She worked as an actress for me once, mm -hmm. but uh, the uh, Jennifer, uh, a lot of criti we had a lot of criticism after this film came out about her acting. That she right. overacted in this; she was too hammy. But uh, I, I didn't think so, and that's exactly what I wanted. I thought I thought her performance was delicious. I know her working process is incredibly intense, and she's somebody who does incredible preparation. Um, but could you say anything about that? Well, these actors, when they do all that preparation, they don't t tell me about it. <laughs> you know, they they do it, and uh, they they're very secretive about mm. their process. They they uh, they don't. You know, I don't talk to an actor very much once we cast them, mm. and we have we have a little blah 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 about the picture, and uh, and then I usually bore them with, oh, I'm going to shoot it with this kind of a lens and that kind of camera. <laughs> And you know, and then we just go. And once you start shooting, you don't have time for those uh, conversations. You're just dealing with the moment. And I think if we shoot a, a scene in any of these films, on a, we shot it on a Tuesday. Had we shot it on a Thursday, the whole film could have been different. Many of my friends will sit down and do lo lots of readings, and they'll do rehearsals. They love to rehearse and. Uh, and the actors always love to rehearse. Uh, I don't like rehearsing too much because I, in most cases, because I think it gets um, it, it gets tired. I like to have it really fresh to my mind, so I can get excited about it. Uh, I think. Well. 
they, they, I, I, I don't, I don't really know. These things come up, and I don't really, I'm not really aware that I'm being that blatant. But usually, I'm running out of ideas, <laughs> and and so I'm reaching into something that well, it worked before. And <laughs> I did a film called Cookie's Fortune. Uh, right after this, no, no, I did another film for that, Gingerbread Man. But Cookie's Fortune, uh, I had a, a scene with Lyle Lovett and um, and Liv Tyler and and Chris O'Donnell in a certain location, and we shot that scene. And then there was another scene with them, uh, the same people. And we went out to the same location to set it up. And I was shooting that scene, and I said, I've already shot this scene. And I realized that I had staged it and was doing it in exactly the same way I had done the scene before. And I thought, well, I'm doomed. That's, 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 that's it. Uh, and it, it's, it's evident. And I'm a little, I, I have a feeling I was, many brain cells are dying while I sit here, but I, and many of them went, they go away, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> what, what do you give the actors actually to begin with? Do you believe in a lot of rehearsal time or do you believe in being no, more spontaneous? No, 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 I don't use, I, I'm too impatient for that. I, 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 don't, I don't know, I don't know. We talk about the, what, what kind of picture I think we want to make, what, what we're looking for in it. And I'm, I'm mainly trying to kick them to tell me. I'm trying to get them to tell me what they're going to deliver. Because uh, they're the ones that are doing it, you know. Yeah, about your interest in directing opera, what is well, that? I, don't, I really don't even know how this started, but the dean of music at the University of Michigan called me and woke me up and said, would I be interested in doing directing an opera, the uh, Rake's Progress? And uh, I said, Woof. and I was familiar with the Rake's Progress. And uh, I said, well, I don't, I don't do that. I mean, I, no, I, that's, I, I would, that's a mistake. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't know how to do that. I don't, I'm, I've got a tin ear, and uh, music is uh, something I can just enjoy, I can't contribute to. And uh, he, we said thank you and blah, blah, blah. And I hung up. And I went, turned over to go back to sleep. And I got, I said, well, if I could put <laughs> 80 people on the stage and all these things. And I called him back and I said, I, I can do that if I can have 80 people on the stage all the time. If we can do it. He said, well, let's do it. Well, that's the nicest thing in the world. It's, you know, it's like it's like going to a dance and you wear this you've got this neat dress that you're wearing and you see four other people wearing the same dress. <laughs> it pisses you off in one way, but in the other way you're kind of flattered. Just on following on, on this question about other directors copying you or paying homage to you. I think one thing that you were doing very early on was uh, this idea of multiple storylines moving around freely um and that that happens a lot now. Film and it's getting more and more nonlinear. Yeah, yeah. But you were doing that really first. Well, I yeah, I was. I mean, I did that. I did, and I think the reason I did that is because if if uh, what I'm doing gets sort of boring, I can always cut away 
to those two guys and then come back. And I can, it, it can help you in truncating the, uh, the process. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of chicken. I mean, it, it covers my, covers my back. <laughs> How did you make the breakthrough from well, well, the first f- full feature films? First film I made, I was in Kansas City doing industrial films, and there was a guy there who was, uh, uh, his father owned a chain of theaters and movie theaters, and, and he was kind of a, a bon vivant character. And uh, he said, let's make a film. And I said, okay. And I wrote this film, The Delinquents, uh, in a weekend. And cast it, and we started shooting it. We made it for $65,000. And uh, it was really terrible. But Hitchcock saw it for some, some one of those weird things and asked to meet with me and I met with him and he was doing his half hour series and they were just starting an hour series called Suspicion, I think it was called. They were shooting it in New York and uh, he said, we have never, we don't go out and shoot on locations and and, and we, we build sets and he says, and I, don't, I need somebody that knows how to do that. So he, he actually, actually hired me, although I wouldn't take the job, but I did the job, but I wouldn't get allowed to be, I wouldn't take the money for it because I didn't want to be categorized as a production manager. But I set up a film in New York, uh, one of those suspicions, and a, a Scottish director named um, Robert blah, 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 <coughs> Mac, Mac blah blah <coughs> did this film and I came in and then for doing that for Hitchcock they then gave me um, the Hitchcock Presents which was the first kind of professional thing I did and I did one of those uh, and then I did, and they gave me another one I did another one with, with Joseph Cotton and, and they worked out pretty good. And then they gave me another script, and I was be, becoming the fair-haired boy there. And uh, there was a woman that really ran that whole television thing for him named uh, Joan Harrison. And Miss Harrison gave me this script, and I read it, and I said, well, Joan, you don't want to do this. I, I, I can't do this. I, I should have done anything. Uh, I said, I can't do this. This is not a good script. It's not going to work. The story's... And I just turned it down, and she said, oh, all right. Well, I found out later that it was her script. (laughs) So that was the end of my Hitchcock days. (laughs) But because of the Hitchcock mystique and name and all that, and I had done two of those, I then got a job doing Whirlybirds, which was... Uh, a helicopter and two fools running around, and uh, I did a hundred of those. I just did, <laughs> I was I was a big uh, uh, fan of, of that. Uh, Bergman, I was a big fan of Bergman's. I, one of my favorite films was Persona, mm. and uh, and also uh, uh, David Lean. Uh, I was very impressed with Brief Encounter, mm. and then the Fellini. 
and uh, those those and I started really paying more attention to those than I did the the um I, I took a lot. I, I get a lot of credit. People say, oh, you start all, you do all that overlapping dialogue. You started that. I said, I didn't start that. Howard Hawks has started that. And uh, I, I used to just love his pictures, not for the content or anything else, but just for the fact that they went so fast. Mm -hmm. I stole that. <laughs> okay, would you say you have a bleak or dark Well, season? you have to tell me that. I can't. <laughs> I, I don't think, I think, uh, uh, I think there are two sides to every coin, and uh, I think there is a dark side. The Prairie Home Companion, which uh, we're just starting to release now, and uh, everybody, the critics, everybody who's seen it likes it a lot. It, it, we're, we're getting really, really good response to it. They say, oh, this is, this is terrific. And we've had very, very negative few negative things and uh but no, no, nothing came out and said oh this is the greatest thing since hash uh <laughs> th th this is uh, uh they're kind of uh, the, the critics they're saying oh we love this we love this i didn't myself think the picture had any uh, particular thrust or, or some words like that except i thought lily was very good and my god Merrill and you know and and they've all been positive stuff but there's been a little caveat because they don't really know. I think that the 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 seriousness that one finds in Brokeback Mountain uh, or films does doesn't seem to exist here because it seems too easy, too facile, hmm. and uh, they 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 don't quite know how to praise it. But they they don't unpraise it. So I'm kind of anxious to see what happens when this gets gets out here this summer. Uh, I, I think you like to mix things up. I think MASH was a war film, came out during Vietnam, but it's a comedy. This movie, Kansas City, that we just saw, seemed, has melodrama and music, so I think a, a lot of times they're hard to pigeonhole. Well, it should be. The, mm -hmm. But but they're, they're, kind of a, they're kind of funny about what they say about the, the, and yet, when you really look at the uh, Prairie Home Companion, it is all about death. Mm -hmm. Everybody dies. Mm -hmm. uh, is <laughs> and everybody's, but they sing. <laughs> and they're happy. But to say that people die is sort of telling it like it is. It doesn't mean you have a bleak. I know, but but uh, <laughs> but nobody noticed it. Is what I'm saying. It didn't. These people said, "Didn't it?" Well, there's a very dark place in there when this guy's uh, L. Q. Jones dies, and <laughs> and ultimately all of them do. But still, come see the movie, please. Well, the actors uh, are. Why uh, I say they lie, but that they have to protect themselves so much because they go in and. No matter if they come in for one day and do one job, they have no control over that film. If they're if they're Meryl Streep, they have no control over that film, other than just an economic control, really. And so they're really at the mercy of me and 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 the editing. And uh, I suppose I sh I shoot when I sh first finished Mash. Dick Zanuck, or uh, Daryl Zanuck, came back with a couple of. French cuties. He was from the Riviera, where he was kind of 
spending out his days. And he came back, and, and they looked at, at my film. They had two other wars going on. They had Tora, 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 and Patton, which were big films. And then we had this MASH. And uh, they, the studio people saw it, and they said, all the operating scenes have to go. We're not going to have any of that stuff in it. And this film is, get it shorter, it's going right to the drive-ins. And it was, it was doomed. It was finished. And uh, these two girls that Danik had with him just loved the picture. And they said, oh, you don't want to change anything in that, and blah, blah, blah. And then we, we went to San Francisco uh, and had a sneak preview up there when Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was playing in a big house, 3,000 people. And they just went nuts over that movie. And Zanuck, the younger, happened to be there because there was a Stanford football game. Uh, so he went up to see the game and he wrote the plane off for going to the preview. Uh, and and it's, be, it's because I said something like that that I didn't work for Fox again for until <laughs> he was gone. But the... Uh, Oh, actors, when I say lying, I'm saying they will tend to, uh, uh, they'll, they'll protect themselves. They'll, they'll say, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And they'll try anything. They've got a really tough spot out there because they don't have any control really over their work when it's finished. And if they do have enough power to have, if they're Tom Cruise people, they, they do have enough power that they can control what it is, and w so they make what it is, and it's all shit. <laughs> and, and so so I, I feel I have to stay away from those very powerful uh, uh, actors, because they're, they're not going to want to do. They've got too many people whispering in their ears. We uh, have a show of Jazz 34 coming up, so just as a last question, if, if you could just tell us a bit about that project. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, well, well, all of this, the music that was in Kansas City, we shot all of those songs and, and things full blast. And, and Jazz 34 is simply a musical about the music. It's just all the music, you know. Well, thank you. I'm sorry we're going to have to stop, but we will see you again on June 8th with Prairie Home Companion. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.